You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you, your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Then he said to me, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let the unrighteous go on in unrighteousness. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. Lord, I am coming soon and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the adulterers, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Both the spirit and the bride say, come, let anyone who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life freely. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, 
God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city, which are written about in this book. He who testifies about these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. Thank you, Judy. Come to the end. Come to the end. Chapter 22, this is our last chapter in the book of Revelation. We've been journeying through this since, uh, I think, May, and, um, and we've come to the last chapter. We've come to the last sermon. I had in mind and actually went about writing a message that was meant to kind of recap the entire book, and, um, and, and then, I, then I put that in the bin because I, I figured we'd have people walking out of here at half past three. So let me encourage you, if you are interested in some kind of recap, then we, we do have everything we've, uh, we've done online, the, the messages in audio and video and the, uh, the series guides as well. So instead of doing a recap, I thought I'd go back to the beginning and just read three kind of objectives I had. Uh, this was in the original, the first part um, series guide. There was three things, three big truths I'm hoping we'll absorb from this amazing book, is, is what I wrote back in May. So let me just read what our, object, our objectives were, and you, you judge for yourself whether we've got anywhere close. Number one, I wanted us to not just understand, but absorb, right, to, to take on, uh, to believe that our willingness to radically live like Christ and suffer for Christ is the path to ultimate victory over evil and injustice. So the way of the world, symbolized in Babylon throughout this book, the way of the world is the way of power and dominion. The way of Christ is life, death and resurrection. Rather than the roaring line of Judah, God's victory is secured by the lamb that was slain. Number two, God is absolutely sovereign over human history even when darkness seems to reign. The schemes of Babylon and the dragon, Satan, are powerful and pernicious. That is, those those powers are indeed powerful. They're not something to be messed with. And pernicious, that is, they're under the surface. They're hidden from us. They work away like yeast through dough. That's part of the, the whole reason for the book of Revelation is to peel back the layer and reveal what's beneath. Powerful and pernicious, but God's plan for the redemption and final restoration of his people and his creation cannot fail. He has no rival. Number three, the new creation is the climax of the entire witness of Scripture and the destiny of everyone who remains faithful to the Lamb. Revelation is a book very much rooted in this world with much to teach us about this life, but the final vision is our ultimate goal 
new creation life. We talked a lot about the new creation last week. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. And in this morning's passage, chapter 22, we get the last little slice of that vision of the new creation. So let me read that to you, verse 1 to 5. Then he, that's the angel, showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. So we saw last week the new Jerusalem coming down out of, from God to the earth, the marriage of heaven and earth, the new creation, the new Jerusalem. Now we see the new Eden. This is the Garden of Eden resurrected, recreated, restored. Garden of Eden created by God way back in Genesis 1 and 2, a, a place for his people to live with him. That was the purpose of Eden, to be a place like a temple where God can dwell with his people. And here we have it restored, never to fall again. An eternal Eden. Now, I just want us to wrap our heads around a, a, a biblical truth now. And it's, again, like several we've had recently, this is something that Christians are sort of uh, divided on or disagree about. But he, he, this is where I'm coming from, at least. I, b- I believe that the Bible teaches us that human beings are not immortal. Human beings do not possess an immortal soul. Uh, Human beings are not, by nature, eternal. But that, in fact, God is the only being in in the universe that is immortal, and immortality is a gift that only he can give. So let me just give you a couple of verses. So first of all, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul speaks to his little protege about this. He says, God will bring about this in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honour and eternal power. Amen. He kind of just blooms in benediction, thinking about the God who is other than anything else. He is bespoke. He is holy. He alone is immortal. Eternal life, 
that great gift that was at the center of Jesus' mission and ministry and message. God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that all who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. That gift that Jesus extends to everyone in the good news of the gospel is in fact a gift that only God can give. Again, Paul in Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Right there in one verse, you get the good news and the bad, and you have to keep them together. The wages for sin from Adam and Eve in the garden until today, by nature sinful, the wages for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's jump back to the original Eden for a second. In Genesis chapter 3, you have the most tragic story of all time. You have the fall. You have the willful rejection of God as prophet, priest, and king, of God as the, the presence in the temple that is the universe. The rejection of him, the pursuit of self, self-determination, self-worship, and here's what tragically happens to the tree of life. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 to 24. The Lord God said, since the man has become like us, like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming, whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. The result of sin is expulsion from God's presence and separation from the tree of life that would grant eternal life. That provision of God to be the the gift by which People could live forever. God must separate sinful humanity from that tree, lest they take and eat and live forever. Live forever in condemnation. Live forever in a fallen, broken world. He stations an angel and a flaming sword to guard that terrible event from ever happening condemned to life, broken by sin, life forever broken by sin. So we're separated from the tree of life. That's our existence on this earth. This earth separated, divorced, a chasm between us and the tree of life that cannot be bridged except through resurrection. That's why the tree of life is featured here in the new creation, a new Eden, a tree of life somehow on both sides of the river. Abundant. 
fruit every month, leaves for the healing of the nations, the tree of life, the gift of immortality given freely and forever because death is defeated. The risk of taking from that tree and being condemned to a life of sin forever is no more. Sin has been expelled from the garden, never to return. Satan, the serpent, expelled from the garden, never to return. Death itself is dead. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. This is the best chapter to go to in the Bible if you want to read about the resurrection. In in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The answer to that question today is it's here. It's here. Death's victory, death's sting is right in my bones of this decaying body. It hangs in the air around every funeral. It's a stench that envelops every act of sin. Follows Satan around as he makes his way through the universe doing damage. But when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, that is, no more death, no more disease, no more sin, when this mortal body, doomed to die, doomed to die every day closer to death, when this mortal body is clothed with immortality, restored creation, resurrected body, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. In the meantime, we groan. We groan from our corruptible, mortal guts. We groan. I hope you do. I hope by the end of this message you will be groaning for the return of the king. So life for believers, even in the midst of this mortal coil, even in the midst of this temporary darkness, life for believers is eternal by God's gracious gift. Eternal life is not just your life uh, let 
run for eternity. It doesn't, it's not just something that you're imbued with and God just allows you to play it out forever. Life eternal is a gift that only God can give. And it's a gift that he wants every one of his creatures precious to him, made in his image and doomed to die. The wages for sin is death. He wants every one of his creatures made in his image, loved by him. He wants them to receive that gift and live forever. That's what he wants. God desires that none should perish but that all should turn to Christ and live. Think about that. God desires that none should perish, but that all should turn to Christ and live forever. That's God's desire. That's what he wants. I tell you too, that sometimes we get hung up on the eternality of eternal life. Like, if you think about it, it's almost too much for your brain to handle, right? But to think about in a trillion years, you're still alive, still very much alive, and no less alive than you were a trillion years before. To think about this life as like this life that we're so consumed with, that we spend all of our time worried about and focused on this life that's like a, like, a, like a millimeter on the floor here and you're an eternity from the day that you die extending on to not just the end of Caroline Springs Boulevard but to the end of the universe and beyond, never ending. Just think about how that would affect the way you prioritize your thought life, the things you worry about, the things you invest in, if that's true. But it's not just quantity, it's quality of life. Quantity of life to infinity and quality of life to infinity. He kind of picks up on this in verse 17 where he talks about, um, he, he says, both the spirit and the bride say, come, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. This tree of life and water of life, both representative of quantity, eternal quantity of life and quality. The idea that you could be, I mean, you can't be satisfied for 10 minutes, am I right? It's not just me. You got that new thing that you really wanted, and then like within minutes, you're kind of wishing that you had got the better one, or you hear that there's going to be a newer one. It's law of diminishing returns that we're plagued with. It's part of the curse that he says won't be anymore in the new creation. The curse will be no more. This curse of dissatisfaction. All of your deepest desires, your thirst for deep and abiding satisfaction will be slaked. I love that word, slaked. It will be satisfied. It will be relieved forever. That's what we're talking about.
Next week we're going to get into Advent, as Suzanne said. We're going to get into Advent, which has always and forever been a season where we remember the first and second coming of Jesus. And my feeling is that we've weighted it massively on the first coming because the whole idea of Christmas has really uh, been consumed with, well, commercialism, number one, number two, Jesus' birth. Uh, And that's fine. We should celebrate Jesus' birth. But our eyes are meant to be also trained on the second coming in the season of Advent. We're meant to foster this sense of expectation. Foster, right? Like a brew up this sense among our church, this sense of expectation. Jesus is coming. Come, Lord Jesus. You're meant to kind of whet your appetite, whet your thirst for eternal life, for a new Jerusalem, a new Eden, a new creation. That's what we're going to be spending a lot of our time focusing on. Because Jesus is coming soon. You can't get around that when you read this chapter, right? Did you pick up on that? Jesus is coming soon. Verse 6 to 7. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits and of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Look, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 10. Then he said to me, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Verse 12. Look, I am coming soon, says the Lord Jesus. And my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Verse 20, he who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Do you want Jesus to come soon? I'm not feeling the vibe from you this morning. Do you want him to come soon? Because here's the challenge, right? Uh, All of us, by nature, are distracted Our entire lives are a distraction from what is, and it's so bizarre because we are distracted by a shadow so that we don't focus on the reality. It's like we're living, I don't know if this metaphor works, but it's like we're living all of life looking through the camera on our phone. And everything we do and see is just coming to us through the phone when 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 the real world is everywhere. And we're just absorbed in this life, which is just a shadow of what's to come. It's just an image on a screen almost. And so if we understand that and and Revelation helps reveal that to us, then I think our right response should be, come Lord Jesus, we want the real deal. Sick of this counterfeit life counterfeit existence, with counterfeit body on counterfeit earth. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. 
Christian church has always has, has always pra- had this practice of praying for the Lord's swift return. It's, it's one of the, the few probably um, uninterrupted 2,000-year-old cries from the church. Like the songs have changed, the words have changed, the melodies have changed, the instruments have changed, but there's one cry that has echoed through every generation of the church. It's an Aramaic word, the language that Jesus spoke. The Greeks, the Hebrews, they didn't translate it because they, they, they wanted to preserve it in Aramaic. It's Maranatha. Maranatha means, oh Lord, come. It's like a, a gut-level, despairing, desperate cry. In fact, it's a cry that Christians have, 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 have let forth, let rip. They've, 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 they, have, they have made this cry in the depths of their despair and at the height of their joy. It suits every occasion and every day of the week. Maranatha, come Lord, please come. Please come and make all things right. Please come and make all things new. Mara, Natha. Lord, come. So yeah, Jesus is coming soon. The problem is, it's quite an evident problem, that um, this book was written in the 90s not the 1990s, like the original 90s, the first 90s. It was written in the 90s. And Jesus is here over and over again saying, I'm coming soon. And so if, if you're the original reader, and I'm sure this was the case, they would have been reading this and then just looking to the sky, just waiting for it to rip apart. Absolutely they would have had the expectation that any second now, Jesus is going to come. Paul's expectation in 1 Thessalonians, we we preached through 1 Thessalonians, I don't know, a couple of years ago, you remember, he talks about the the trumpet sounding and the the sky being torn apart and and Jesus appearing and then us who have believed, including those who have died, going up to meet with him in the air, And then all of us coming down to the earth to reign forever. It's like we go out as this welcoming party to the Lord Jesus at his return. And then we all just come back down to a new earth with new bodies and live forever, reign forever with him in the new creation. So you've got to think, people in this first century are just thinking any second now. So people kind of, you know, this is easy meat for people who mock Christian belief and Christian expectations of the future. Like, Jesus is coming back, really? It's been a couple of thousand years. You guys are still hanging on to that. But the mockery, the criticism, it's nothing new. It It was first century. Like, within minutes, people were already mocking how long Jesus was taking to return, like uh, the Apostle Peter 
encountered this with his church, and so he wrote to them, 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, above all, beware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that he promised? Even since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. Nothing's going to change. He goes on, verse 8 and 9. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So God's delay is motivated by his desire that none should be destroyed. God's delay is motivated by his desire that none should be restored, that all should come to repentance, that all should receive the gift of eternal life. And for him, a thousand years, it's like a day. The 2,000 we've had so far, I guess it's like two days. I don't know, maybe it's not, maybe it doesn't work that way. I believe that we'll have time in the new creation. I believe that time functions in eternity, but it's a different type. It's a different quality. And for God, this time that has taken place so far between his first and second coming, it's of a different quality as well. If you like the uh, Chronicles of Narnia like I do, then you might, um, might recognize this kind of theme. It's, it comes up again and again. It's particularly, there's this scene in the, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader where Aslan the lion, who's the, in that world, he is the representation of Jesus. Well, he is, in fact, Jesus in that world. Um, and he, uh, he's about to leave the children. He's got business elsewhere. And uh, Lucy, the, the youngest girl who just loves Aslan so much and never wants to be parted from him, he, yeah, she speaks to him about this. Have you got that quote from... There we go. Aslan says to Lucy, Do not look sad. We shall meet soon again. Please, Aslan, said Lucy, what do you call soon? I call all times soon, said Aslan. And instantly he was vanished away. God calls all times soon. So, you can say with confidence at any time, Jesus is coming soon. You just read it in the Bible. Jesus is coming soon. Any one of us can say at any time, Jesus is coming soon. But... Be wary, be wary of the person who says, Jesus is coming then. People who try to date the return of Jesus are in grave error. Don't try and put a date on it, friends. 
It's enough to say Jesus is coming soon. Jesus himself tells us that no one knows the day or the hour. This book of Revelation has told us that he will come like a thief. So yes, Jesus is coming soon. But just resist the temptation to say Jesus is coming then, Jesus is coming now, Jesus is coming on January the 12th, 2025. It's not for us to know the day or the hour. It's for us to wait in earnest anticipation. It's for us, in, in effect, to practice Advent all year round. It's for us to pray earnestly from our guts, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Red Door family, I just, um, I've, I've loved journeying through this book with you. I've just loved it. I put it off for a while because it was um, kind of daunting. But I've just loved walking through each verse of this book with you. And my, my hope is that uh, that even through these inadequate, stumbling attempts to to, de- to 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 like deeply delve into this book of treasures, like even even in the inadequacy of the, our gatherings together, that. God, by his grace, will have revealed so much to us, like deep, eternal truths that are more precious than gold, sweeter than honey. My prayer, as always, is that God would, through our gatherings together, take this word, which is a sword, and shape us, like shape us to be more like his son. My prayer is that you would be blessed as we open scripture together. So we're going to leave Revelation there. But I would really love for you to stand with me and for us together to kind of liturgically close the book on Revelation. So why don't you stand up and I just have a little uh, liturgy here from this last chapter. I just encourage you to join in with me where you see the bold text. If, if this is the cry of your heart, if you do have Maranatha deep in your bones, if you really do want Jesus to come and make all things new, then join in with me. And then once we say amen on that, we'll take a seat again and and use the next song just to reflect 
uh, on all that God has been revealing to us in this series. So, look, the book says, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Look, I'm coming soon. And my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen.
Take your people home.